Gethsemane. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Once more he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Last week, we started a Lenten series called Journey Towards Hope, because that's what Easter is all about. Easter is all about hope. Hope is what drives us, what motivates us to keep looking ahead and moving forward. Last week, we looked at the distractions and the temptations that try to keep us from experiencing hope. We studied Satan's temptation of Jesus from the Gospel of Matthew. Now, Matthew wrote his Gospel in such a way that readers would understand that Jesus was the Son of God, the expected Jewish Messiah. And so what we see with Matthew's story is a focus on the teachings of Jesus. During the temptation in the desert, we heard Jesus repeatedly say, It is written. It is written. And that's how he defended against the temptations of Satan. Jesus taught us that the best way to avert and avoid temptation is through the Word. But we have to be in the Word to know the Word. And we have to be filled up with the Word on our journey towards hope. If we want to live victorious lives, if we want to resist temptation and distraction, we have to fill up on the Spirit and fill up on God's Word. If we leave any room, then it's going to corrupt. It's going to be much harder And the enemy is going to creep in. If I have a glass jar like this, how do I get the air out? Some of you might say, oh, you could just suck it out. Well, if I do that, then I risk shattering the jar. But if I fill it completely to the top with water, that's how I can get all the air out. Our souls are the same way. If we leave any space, Satan can get back in. When I was a little girl, my great-grandmother, she used to grow her own vegetables. She had a garden. And she would, at the end of the season, she would can them. She would do canning. So she had them throughout the winter. And if you know anything about canning, you cannot leave any little bit of air in that jar. Otherwise, everything will go bad. Our souls are the same way. We need to fill up with God's word. We need to fill up with his spirit. Or we risk the temptations that come in. When Jesus was in the desert, he was able to resist the devil's schemes only because he was filled up with the spirit and with the word. Satan couldn't distract him from his journey towards hope. And the devil won't distract us either if we fill up 
with the power of the Spirit and the knowledge of God's Word. Now our text this morning is from the Gospel of Mark. In Mark's Gospel, Jesus is a man of action. Mark wants us to learn about Jesus not through his teachings, but through what he does. See, Matthew presented all the teachings of Jesus. We focus on his sayings. In Mark, it's all about what Jesus does. And that's what we see here. Mark is going to paint us a picture of Jesus through his stories. And he's going to present the human side of Jesus. In Mark's gospel, we see Jesus experience a whole range of human emotions. We see disappointment in chapter 8 when he feeds the 4,000 and the Pharisees still come to him and demand more signs. We see him experience displeasure in chapter 10 when the disciples are rebuking people for bringing the children to Jesus. And then we see anger in chapter 11 when he's overturning the money changers' tables in the temple. And he experiences fatigue in the boat during the storm when the disciples are terrified. Wake up, wake up, we're drowning. And in our text this morning, we read about his deepest sorrow. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. In the Gospel of Mark, Jesus is recorded praying alone only two other times. And they were times of crisis, times of decision. Again, Mark's pointing out the lesson for us through the actions of Jesus. If you're in crisis, you need to make a decision, pray. Do as Jesus did, pray. So Jesus takes Peter, James, and John with him. Now, these three in particular, were feeling a little puffed up, I imagine, confident in their abilities and confident in their faith. Just before they enter the garden, Mark tells us about a conversation that Jesus had with the disciples. Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly I tell you this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But Peter said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And then we can't forget about the puffing up of James and John in chapter 10. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came over and spoke to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do us a favor. What is your request, he asked. They replied, when you sit on your glorious throne, we want to sit in places of honor next to you. One on your right, the other on your left. But Jesus said to them, You don't know what you are asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I am about to drink? 
Are you able to be baptized with the baptism of suffering that I must be baptized with? Oh, yes, they replied. We are able. And so Jesus tells them, You will indeed drink from my bitter cup and be baptized in my baptism of suffering. And so Peter, James, and John, they're feeling able. And they're feeling confident in their abilities in themselves. And so they go to the garden with Jesus to pray. And we pick up in verse 34. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Overwhelmed by sorrow to the point of death. Do we understand how deep the agony is that Jesus was feeling? Have you ever been so filled with emotion that you couldn't breathe? Have you ever had times when you couldn't even process the sadness and you didn't think that you could even go on? Have you ever been so overwhelmed by your circumstances that you felt you just couldn't cope? Because your future just looked so bleak, you just didn't think you could continue. Church, you have a Savior that understands. Jesus was at a point of tremendous pain. And as he realized how close he was to that agony that lay before him, we're given window into that pain and how he dealt with it. During his ministry, he had brought healing to the suffering. And he cured disease. He he relieved people's pain. But now he was facing his own. In the garden, he teaches us how to face those difficult times and how to journey towards hope. He committed to prayer. When he tells Peter, James, and John to stay here and keep watch, this is not the keep watch where your little kid, you say, all right, I'm going to sneak the cookies. You watch for mom and dad out there. That's not this kind of keep watch. This kind of keep watch is a stern command from Jesus to stay alert. The first thing I thought of was when Peter wrote in, in 1 Peter, he tells the church, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. You know, Peter understood that because he lived it back in the garden. He now understood what keep watch really meant. See, what we're learning from the actions of Jesus is the importance of prayer. In the middle of a storm, in the midst of our greatest trials and temptations, Our first line of defense is prayer. There were three preachers having coffee at a Starbucks. And there was a telephone line repairman working behind them. And the first preacher says, You know, my most powerful prayers are when I stand up, I raise my hands to the heavens. That's how I get powerful prayer. And the second preacher says, no, 
when I get on my knees and I fold my hands, that's a powerful prayer. Then the third picture says, no, it's when I lay flat on the floor. That's the powerful prayer. Then the telephone repairman behind them says, well, actually, my most powerful prayer was when I was dangling 40 feet in the air upside down from the telephone wire. You see, the posture of our body in prayer is not nearly as important as the posture of our heart. Jesus says, Abba, Father. He's calling him Daddy. Everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Abba, Father. Jesus is calling out with a childlike address of daddy. It expresses that intimate relationship that he had with the father. And it expresses his confidence in knowing that God was near. That God was listening. Do you have that intimate relationship with the father? Are you confident that when you pray, he's drawing near to you? And that he's listening and hanging on every word you say? Jesus acknowledges that God is all-knowing and all-powerful. He says, everything is possible for you. Father, you can take this cup from me. You can spare me from this suffering. Jesus makes a desperate plea. Father, I don't want to do this. There must be another way. And you are powerful enough to do it. Our Father is able. Our Father is powerful enough to do all that we ask. But sometimes we don't get the answer we want. Not everyone gets the healing they desperately desire. Not all broken marriages are restored. Not all addictions are broken. And that's why the posture of our heart is so important when we pray. You see, Jesus was confident in God's power and ability to take away the suffering. But he was also confident and trusting in that God knew best, even if the suffering had to continue. And so in that, he submits to God's will, yet not what I will, but what you will. At some point in our suffering... We have to stop wrestling with God. We have to take whatever dark, impossible situation we are facing and yield it into his hands. We submit because we know that he's in control. We submit because our God is faithful and loving, even if we can't see the whole picture. Do you ever have toddlers that are going through the terrible twos? And they're just fussy, they're whiny, they're cranky. And you just, you scoop them up in your arms. And they're kicking and screaming and wrestling and trying to get out of your arms. And you just keep holding them tighter and tighter. And then at some point, they realize, oh, I'm being held. The person that's holding me loves me. That's how it is with our father. We're the toddler that's kicking.
kicking and screaming and wrestling and saying, no, no, no. And at some point, we need to realize we're in his loving arms. That's what Jesus is at that place. He recognizes whose arms he's in. Then he returned to his disciples, and he found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Simon, he said to Peter. Did you catch that? Simon. That's no longer Peter's name. And yet, Jesus refers to him as Simon. He goes back to calling Peter by his original name. The same name that he had before. You know, Peter means rock. It means firm. But here, Peter was anything but. He had resorted back to his old ways of thinking, his old ways of coping. We have that same temptation. We call them coping mechanisms. When hardships hit, we run to the more worldly things, the things that relieve our pain, give us an instant gratification for the moment. For some, it may be alcohol. For others, it may be that we throw ourselves into our work. For some, it's shopping. For others, it's eating, gambling, drugs. You name it. It could be TV. It could be movies. It could be anything. For me, it's chocolate and coffee. It doesn't have to be a bad thing. It, just because it's, it's drawing you away, it's a bad thing. It's drawing you away from God. But we do so many things to numb ourselves to the pain, to hide from the reality of our circumstances. But anything that draws us away from the presence of our Father is a bad thing. And they lead to dead ends. They lead to places that have no hope. But prayer helps us acknowledge our dependence on our Father. When we acknowledge that dependence upon him, it's his spirit that's going to sustain us. And it's him who's going to strengthen us through the trial. And that's what Jesus' actions teach us in the garden. Fervent prayer will always draw us into the presence of God. It's always going to refuel us, to strengthen us, and keep us vigilant, eyes on him. Two more times, Jesus leaves the disciples to go pray, warning them, watch and pray. And each time he returns, they're back asleep. Had they chosen to pray, they wouldn't have given in to the flesh. Had they chosen to pray, they would have been prepared for what was coming. What we learn in the garden is that prayer is crucial on the journey towards hope. Only prayer will enable us to answer the call of God. Only prayer will strengthen us to answer the call of God. Only prayer will keep us in God's will through the trials. Jesus was facing the most horrific of events, and he deals with it by praying. He's strengthened by it. He's able to move forward in God's will, because he prays. In contrast, the disciples neglected prayer, choosing rest instead. 
When hardship came, they collapsed under the pressure, and they all took off. Peter ends up denying Jesus three times, just as Jesus had predicted. They scatter in all different directions, except the one direction that Jesus was leading them. While Jesus prayed fervently as he trembled in terror over what was about to take place, the disciples gave in to weakness of the flesh. And they sleep peacefully, ignorant about what's to come, and ill-prepared for what was headed their way. On the night of Jesus' death and burial, the disciples were crushed. They were utterly hopeless. We all have our time in the garden. We have our own gardens. Times of distress, times of deep sorrow, loneliness, Times of crisis. But those can become times of strength and times of comfort on that journey towards hope. If we pray fervently and persistently, if we're willing to accept God's will, no matter what it means, and if we're willing to trust God enough to give ourselves and our situations over to him, that's when we experience strength and comfort, and hope. Are we seeking that temporary relief through other means, through our coping mechanisms? Or are we going after true restoration that leads to hope? True restoration that leads to peace. We must seek God first in all things. Through prayer, we're brought into the presence of the one who knows us from the inside out and knows what's best for us. When we turn to God in prayer, we're seeking shelter in his presence. And we're equipped to deal with any stress that comes our way. Prayer is vital for our journey towards hope. It's when we develop a deeper bond with the Father. It's when we connect to him and say, Father, I need your help. Jesus calls us to follow him into the garden. Jesus calls us to follow God's will, even when it scares us. Jesus calls us to pray and surrender our lives completely to God. And sometimes that means pushing aside our own agendas and asking in complete humility, God, your will be done. And then when we're in the darkest scariest moments of our lives, all we have to do is enter our Father's presence and pray. In his presence is hope. And with hope, the fear and the terror subside. The darkness starts to fade to light. And then we find that God's right beside us, waiting with open arms to encourage us He's been there the whole time. Holden, we just didn't see him. Holy Father, we thank you for our time this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the example that Jesus leads us. 
Thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus. We thank you that you loved us so much. That Jesus was willing to submit to your will so we could have a relationship with you. Father, help us to submit to you. Help us to let our will be your will in all things. Help us to seek you first before the crisis hits. Father, as we leave this place, may we shine our light. May we glorify you in our words and in our actions. In Jesus' precious and holy name.